And welcome to Much to Discuss, a weekly conversation between the spectacularly talented Kelly O'Shea and me, Steph Swan. I didn't even say my name right. Steph Swan. I don't know what's happening. Tackling the culture, content, news, and topics we're absorbing this week. This is a train wreck already out of the gate. (laughs) What's going on, my friend? I am back home in Chicago for the Thanksgiving holiday. Getting together with family and stuff is going to be very nice. Have a lot of plans. We have 20 people coming to our Thanksgiving this year. Fun. It's going to be really nice. I actually was thinking as I was coming home, and I'm sure you can relate to this from your Australia trip last year to 10 times the degree that I'm having it now. I got back and it was like calendar Tetris with my friends and family on like who I was seeing when, what we were going to do, how you could make sure that you had quality time with people, but also were giving yourself enough time to relax alongside your family and friends, which is maybe just as important. I feel like I'm doing a better job of it as I'm getting older. And some of it is just setting blocks of time and committing to them. But I was so curious, what do you feel like you did when you went home to Australia to like really meaningfully connect with your family? had a spreadsheet that was detailed because listen it's different right it had been over three years since i'd been able to go home i'd acquired a new husband but acquired sounds like i bought him oh dear so he hadn't met my extended family my brother my best friends at home so it was pedal to the metal probably didn't do a great job of protecting the space by any means there was a time in which i couldn't get out of bed because it was like you just have to lie down because we were like breakfast coffee lunch dinner but it was a whole project management office of like understanding who we were seeing when it is challenging but it's being really organized and what helped me is like obviously being away from home for now five years the relationships you still have are the ones that are critical and important so still a number of people for sure and it's hard yeah it's a hard slog. I'm with you on that. It's so nice seeing everyone. And it's a really unique celebratory time where I feel like the only context switching I'm having in conversations is really exciting stuff happening with each different family or friend that I'm seeing. So it's really nice. And I feel really, really supported by my family and friends and vice versa. So having that mutual respect, you just feel such a deep sense of love leaving every conversation. I just feel like I'm holding myself back every time from texting them being like, that was really meaningful to me. But (laughs) (laughs) well, I would say send those texts. It's so nice. Just so overwhelming with love and emotion, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we could all use more of that in our lives. And I'm, there's been many things too that have happened for me recently. And you're like, I'm just really glad I can be closer to you physically. As in show up, we'll be down in Melbourne in December for both the good news and the harder news with some of my friends and things they're going through. Just knowing I'm able to like give them a hug. It's yeah. really nice. Now when you've lived in places that aren't home, you're going to have people kind of scattered all over the place. So you're never going to be able to always physically show up. Really nice when you can share those moments with people. I think otherwise you take it for granted a little more. Being able to cheer someone with a flute of champagne when they've gotten engaged or hold their little baby or see your friend pregnant and that sort of thing. Living overseas meant that I missed a lot of those big moments with some of my really close friends. So it's nice to really treasure the times I do get to experience it. No, it's the best. That plus the layer of having had COVID when we couldn't do any of that stuff. I've had a couple moments where I'm just like, be grateful. Like it's extra happy times. Be so, thankful, I guess. Yeah, in, in 
all. So I will say Thanksgiving, the holiday itself, you gather around food and you reflect and you're thankful for whatever it is you're feeling gratitude for in that moment. Because Christmas holidays has been that for me growing up in Australia, but then there's like the present part when you're little. That's all I cared about, being completely <laughs> honest. When I was a kid, it was like presents. Yeah. Whereas Thanksgiving, you're showing up, you're being together, you're eating great food, hopefully, and having that gratitude. It was a really nice one. That's not speaking to where the day came from. I think just having gratitude and seeing your people and taking time out of your schedules to be able to do that. You don't need it to be Thanksgiving, but it helps that that's a holiday that encourages that time together. Agreed. Agreed. I loved it. Excited to eat. Excited to hug people. And yeah. I have also been watching, which I sent to you, that President Biden did the turkey pardon. <laughs> Wait, say it again. <laughs> the turkey pardons, where he pardons, typically one turkey is pardoned a year by the President of the United States. So oh, wait. <laughs> I'm just picturing that he has like handcuffs on his little feet and he doesn't have to go to prison. <laughs> You know what? They actually should up the props that they have. Handcuffs would be a fun flourish. Instead, they just come freely, but they aren't killed for a Thanksgiving dinner. I'm like, sorry, I guess it's pardon from execution. Is that? Yes, that's correct. So all the other turkeys just get heads lopped off. Yeah. I actually, I've never really thought of the ins and outs of the turkeys that were up to be pardoned, but then Do these turkeys have people running their campaigns? You know what? I've never actually looked into it, but this year, do you want to hear about the turkeys that were pardoned? Do you know anything about them? Not once. <laughs> oh, yeah. I glowed at the turkey. I know her full story. This year, the turkeys that were pardoned are named Liberty and Belle. Oh, gosh. That's right. Please, Louise. That's right. My cousin just texted me and was like, it sounds like a literal SNL skit. I can't stop laughing. This is what President Biden said. That's a big bird, man. I'm impressed, Biden said, as one of the turkeys flapped on the table. I hereby pardon Liberty and Bell. Congratulations, birds. I think a couple of weeks ago in the US, senators actually physically fought in session. And it's life imitating art, like not art imitating life. Are we just descending into the comedy of how we're depicted? But honestly, though, I'm so glad that they still have these little bits even up in the presidency, like add a little more whimsy to my day to day life. Yeah, we need it. I will say. I love it. Good for the turkeys. Will there be a turkey on your table tomorrow? Thursday there will be. Yes. Well, I have an early prediction as to what your mom's going to be thankful for this year. Me. And that is not you, that her and I are friends on Instagram. Oh my God. You know, she actually told me the other day, she was like, Steph followed me on Instagram and she was like, I feel kind of bad. She's not going to find very much there. (laughs) No, the thing that I was cackling about when I looked at her profile was that of her first five posts, four of them were of just you. Yeah. And for the listeners, Kelly has two other siblings. She's not an only child. And I was just like, is it making up for the middle child syndrome potentially? A hundred percent. It definitely is. You're just a cute little middle child. Maybe it's why you're easygoing. Do you think you're the stereotype of? Yes, I do to a complete T. I always grew up thinking I was really type A and I actually don't think I am at all. I think I'm extremely. I think I'm extremely type B. I think I thought I was type A because I was smart and could get work done. And people made type B people seem like they were really lazy. But I feel like the fact of it is like it's more over control of planning of which I do not care. 
you're the least competitive person I've maybe ever met. Probably not in a sport arena, but just broadly. I think it's a very good thing, mind you. Totally. Like, I feel like a type A person is like patterns of behavior, competitive, impatient, needs to be in control of self and situations, which I'm with you. I think in society we've lauded that as like, I'm so type A, like it's a good thing. Personally, I would like to take some of the type A out of my personality if yep. possible. And I don't think I'm fully type A. But, but in terms you of your classic older child? Yes. What is it? I'm going to Google it just to see like what's older child syndrome. Yeah. Often characterized as being responsible, ambitious, confident. I would have thought also stubborn, strong-headed, mm. can take situations too seriously. Contrast with youngest child syndrome is associated with being sociable, funny, and easygoing. <laughs> The babies have it so easy. They do. I do like to ask my mom a lot if I'm her favorite. Always says no, that she loves us all equally. But I do feel like from how much I've complained about being the middle child, that might be the reason for my presence on her Instagram. Yeah, I love that. I was like, if you could just take her Instagram and hold that up, you would probably win the favorite child award. It's proof. I mean, my brother's the favorite child for sure. Mum will be like yelling out loud at the podcast when she listens. Dad will be nodding his head in agreement. They love us equally. They like us differently. I think there's a favorite child. All the parents have to say there isn't. I suspect there may be. Yeah. What do you think? Totally agree. Well, I think that they have genuine love for all the children equally, but I think they like the company of certain children more than others. Yeah. And it probably ebbs and flows, right? Like different phases of life where your different children are and how they're behaving. I'm sure it flips. Who knows? I don't know, parents. You tell us if we're wrong on that. I'm not a parent, so cannot speak to it at all. Also, tell me about your week. What do you have going on? Honestly, it's just been quite a scattered time. Exciting, though. I'm in some conversations around some not-for-profits that I'm involved in and, like, doing a bit of dedicated work with that. I recently joined a foundation in memory of one of my best friend's moms, the Sousa Funnel Foundation, and really excited about being involved in that. We had a meeting this week. Bunch of things swirling around, still figuring out what's next full-time-wise, We're starting to get our head around the move down to Melbourne and what that looks like and like figuring out the timing of that. So it'll be nice to get some of that stuff locked away. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, quite an admin heavy time at the Mm -hmm. moment. And then we've got little Ernie and he's just getting cuter by the day. He looks like a teddy bear. We'll need to post a photo of him on our socials because I'm biased, obviously. I think he's so cute. But we'll do a poll. Feel free to tell me he's ugly if (laughs) that's what you think. But actually, maybe this is just going to be a segment I start to do. But I saw a TikTok and thought of you this week and saved it. I have a little folder for the pod. (laughs) I'm going to try and play this loudly. Hopefully the audio works. Yeah. My mum always says when you need to do something, you channel the person who you know best at doing that. So, for example, when I'm driving, I channel my dad because he's a pretty good driver. She says when you're doing a test or you're studying, she said channel like Hermione Granger. She's like, you channel them. And then I thought of how I channel you and it's when we're doing a beautiful boat ride on the sand and our ship is sinking. (laughs) How do you just have joy and optimism? How do you have kindness? All that kind of stuff. So I was like, it's such a nice sentiment and something I actually do a little bit subconsciously. That is so kind and also crazy timing because last week in therapy, we will shout out our therapist in every episode. I had just said, it's really hard sometimes I think to 
figure out behaviors that you want to identify in yourself and change. And so me and my therapist were having a conversation and I just was like, I want to be better about identifying what the specific scenarios are where I would want to respond differently and how I would do that. And she was like, you know, what you could do is think of a scenario and put the hat on of somebody that you would think of. She was like, you can think of Steph. So you got your shout out. And she was like, write down how you would maybe respond to something and then write down how the other person would respond and figure out where you want to be on that line. Because it might vary based on who you are. But in a similar sense, I have certainly done the same thing where I'm like, no, I need to do it this way because it will be better long term versus being people pleasy or whatever it is that I'm thinking of. So I love that. That's so sweet. I just think it's such a good reminder that like we can really draw from the people around us. And I guess we do it subconsciously as well. That's why they're saying you are the company you keep. That intentional being like, okay, in this situation, I could put my Kelly hat on or my Seb hat or insert one of my other beautiful friends who I admire. That actually is quite a freeing thing that I'm I could just take my Steph hat off for like a moment and, and see it hopefully through someone else's lenses. So I do subconsciously do it, but now I want to consciously do it more. And there's many attributes of yours, Kel, that I would like to put on my head and wear, put in my head more, more appropriately. I feel the exact same about you. So if we could do a literal brain swap with the specific things we'd like of each other that would be nice imagine if we could just share and like tap it on and off maybe that's the future when we have chips in our head and we're all semi-robots but for now we can just do the exercise in our brain and speaking of actually one thing going on this week for me that has been very exciting and super lame so fast forward if you're not into life hacks and you can manage yourself well that is not my disposition I really struggle with small daily routine stuff and getting it done. You know, it's like take your vitamin D, do the calf exercises for your shin, those things. I either go through a phase where I'm doing it every day and if my routine gets broken up, then I'm toast. I cannot do it. So I found this app. Well, actually, Seb found this app and then I downloaded it too. In my head, I actually found this app. I didn't. He actually did. <laughs> it's called Habit. How it's configured, you know, you can have your little widgets on your screen and it just is a really satisfying list and you can use it for free or you can pay and you can customize and add more. But you can set all these different tasks by all these different attributes. Want to do it once daily? Is it a 20-minute thing? Do you want to do it once quarterly? What do you want to make sure you do? And what do you sometimes need help? And so I've started doing it and it's literally been such a game changer. And it's really fun to mark things off. I used to use the reminder app on my phone and I just don't like that. Yeah. This is like satisfying. It feels like a game. It's making me do my different things and then you get to mark it off and then you have it in like a little list on your home screen and then you can see your full week of it if you want to. And I'm just living for it. So we'll link the app because maybe we have people like me who really struggle. I love that so much. I live and die by my to-do list and when I I don't have it. I'm SOL. So what does SOL mean? Shit out of luck. <laughs> I like that. I can't it's believe like, you've never heard SOL. It's like when people do the IYKIK, I'm like, huh? Yeah. Icky, we, e, we, icky. And then I'm like, oh, if you know, you know. I think I can move us out of our little meander from the opening part and we can soiree into pop culture. As usual, Kelly, shocking on me, take me on a journey. What's going on? Ready to go. Fire Festival 2 has kicked off with a no. zero gravity experience. <laughs> so Wait, let's sorry. Right away. <laughs> sorry. Hey, what? 
There's a festival happening branded as Fire Festival, the same festival that literally had multiple documentaries and prison time for the organizers. I am so glad that you said that. Billy McFarland, who went to prison for Fire Festival around one, is the owner and creator of Fire Festival 2. Are you absolutely kidding me? I am not. Is he a white man? I can't remember. Yes. Oh, yes. there you go. Do you want to hear his announcement for Fire Festival 2? Oh, goodness. Okay, tell me. Fire Festival 2 tickets are officially on sale. It has been the absolute wildest journey to get here, and it really all started during a seven-month stint in solitary confinement. <laughs> I wrote out this 50-page plan of how it would take this overall interest in demand and fire and how it would take my ability to bring people from around the world together to make the impossible happen. He added that the Fire Festival 2 would be returning to the Caribbean, and in the meantime, we'll be doing pop-ups and events around the world. This is your chance to get in. This is everything I've been working towards. I just... <laughs> It's not often I'm lost for words, to be honest. The first 100 tickets are sold out. Oh, okay. So they only sold 100. Journalists being like, lol, let's go get in for this shit show round two. I don't know. I am simply disappointed in society for even giving this clown opportunity to do this again. Has the festival happened or is this like it's just been announced as a 2.0? So it has been announced as a 2.0 and tickets have started to go on sale. And so the pop-ups have started. So the, this first pop-up was he took a group of the first 75 people who bought tickets to Fire Festival 2 to an airfield in Orange County, New York, and sent them up in private planes to experience weightlessness. I guess if you fly like a certain track or something in a plane, it can be zero gravity. What does that have anything to do with a festival? I don't know. I think it's one of the exclusive events leading up. He's selling a full experience. Oh my goodness me. Who's headlining the show? His mother? What artist would even do this? The location and the headliners have not been announced. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, okay, so are you going to buy tickets, Kel? What do you think? Absolutely not. And I actually am so shocked that he is allowed to do this. I don't know why, but I just feel like there should be some sort of law that you can't try the same thing that sent you to prison. I am in total agreement. But I'm like, here's a thought. Maybe there is no festival exactly like the first time round. It's like there's probably not a vendor or artist or whoever that would go near him. But then on yeah. the contrary, maybe people are going to do it for the plot. And who knows, there could be like fringe level people that are like, well, there will be coverage and I can get my name out there. So I'll sign on as like an artist or influencers who are like well if it's going to be paid for you're right let's give it a whirl i almost want to send you just for the content of our podcast now that i'm thinking about it <laughs> a live report from fire festival <laughs> a worse version of us trying to go on the sand in a boat us trying to go to bordeaux like that but 10 times worse for my 30th birthday all i want is for you and me to go to the fire festival together <laughs> Could you imagine? I actually yeah. could, which is the scary part. So easily. Wow. I'm, I cannot believe that this is happening. I guess everyone's going to be curious. So he's yeah. banking on that part at least. I'll, I'll keep you updated throughout the process. My second story for you is that Taylor Swift postponed her show in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, following extreme temperatures that resulted in a 23-year-old Swiftie dying after collapsing 
degree performance. Reportedly, the temperature had felt like 138 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 59 degrees Celsius. What? And fans fans were banned from bringing water into the venue on the first night and were begging for water inside. She released a statement that she would not be able to speak about the experience on stage as she was overwhelmed by grief, but did sing and dedicate her surprise song, Bigger Than the Whole Sky, which is about grief to 23-year-old Ana Clara. That is devastating. Mm -hmm. That poor person what should have been one of the best nights of her life having insectus 50s as i do through you that's terrifying it makes me think of what all our scientists have been warning us about with climate change and kind of those temperatures are insane can completely understand why taylor swift would cancel future performances Mm -hmm. what was the condition of the venue how did is it that it didn't have the proper like airflow or air conditioning or Obviously, I don't know how you're meant to configure stadiums to make them safe. That is a great question. So supposedly the vents inside the, I don't know if it was a stadium or arena, but this the vents inside of the venue had been closed and that caused a huge issue and obviously caused overheating. And the venue itself supposedly was not one that was great. Wasn't necessarily in a great area. There's a lot of crime outside of it and they were just not prepared at all for an event of that size, which I think she'll run into a fair amount as she does shows in other places where maybe they haven't necessarily scoped things out. But it did just make me think, how do you think concerts and events are even going to happen in the future as heat waves continue? Even thinking, I think this happened at the US Open this summer too, where the heat was so unbearable that athletes were like, we cannot do this. I think even the Australian Open, it happens in the peak of summer here. Similar things with having to reschedule matches, I can imagine, and what have you. But I I probably think about this more broadly, like how are we going to live our lives? And this is where, you know, To Paradise is a book I read that talks about a future dystopian world whereby there are periods of time where humans can't walk around outside because it's mm-hmm. unbearable. You need cooling suits and what have you. And this is an insight into what how bad this can get. Heat waves that are killing people are really scary and a really confronting reality. And it would change everything. And we probably have to change how we operate in society to stop this drastic increase in climate change or global warming. And this is a really sad example that I think penetrates the conversation beyond people who are already conscious of global warming and and the crisis at hand. Yeah, if we can't safely attend a concert, we probably need to start really, really, really reevaluating how we got here. Right. That's crazy. And I don't know how you'd safely do things at scale without really up-to-date and well-managed stadiums and infrastructure. And that's going to come at a cost and that's going to make put pressure on already the cost of living we're experiencing yeah. around the world. So, like, a little bit scary to entertain. Yeah. But someone lost their life and that can't happen. Right. really do not know how she performed for the amount of time. No, that's did. crazy. I don't know how she does it regularly. So in that kind of heat, it is actually wild to think about that. What have your feelings been as you consider all the the components of this story? Really echo what you said. I think that you covered it. And 
it's just very, very sad. I think Taylor had the right response, I think. And it was horrible that it happened. And I'm sure that she is absolutely devastated as well. And I just think more broadly about all of the other ways that we're going to be impacted. And it is really scary. Yeah, I don't know. I think about all of the infrastructure and technology and venues and all of the different components of what will have to happen in order to protect people from the elements of the earth and it's really overwhelming. I feel like it's just, as we've said many a time before, all you can do is educate yourself and do what you can to make a difference and be aware of it. I think the good news is there are a lot of scientists and experts who have dedicated their lives work to how do we still inhabit our planet, this planet we have safely. And there are solutions out there. There are ways we can start to pivot and change the way we operate. There are answers out there. Change is hard, but I think with enough alignment from people across diverse backgrounds, countries, like globally, the more aligned we can get that there needs to be action taken, Right. then there are things that we can be doing. A good thing to keep in the back of your head. Let's, I guess, leave that part of the conversation with some hope and obviously devastating news that someone so young at a concert lost their life because of a climate related catastrophe so definitely i'll move us into the next pop culture story which is shakira agreed to a settlement deal with spanish authorities with a suspended sentence and a fine of over 7 million euros because she had been accused of failing to pay more than 14.5 million euros so roughly 15.8 million usd in income taxes between 2012 and 2014. prosecutors originally had recommended a sentence of eight years and a fine of 24 million euros but she stated that the real win for her was getting back her time to focus on her kids and her career I am baffled as to how you can miss that kind of tax bill. I get scared that I've missed my puny little amount. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how did this happen? Who is her business manager? Do you know? Like, was it an oversight or was it like they were trying to circumvent the tax system? It didn't say. And I feel like it is really so hard to get down to the truth in these situations. I think about the Martha Stewart example all the time because there are some celebrity tax evasion stories that we know some better than others. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of it has to come down to their team. And I don't know how many of them are deliberately trying to do it versus not realizing what they did. My taxes confuse me. I never know. Sometimes I click one extra button and it's like I owe $2,000 more than I thought I did. Yeah, this is why I pay experts to do all this for me because this is actually a fear of mine. First of all, I'm a nobody. My tax bill, it gets withdrawn from my salary. It's really not a big deal. (laughs) Imagine if I didn't pay my taxes or whatever. And so when a case like this comes across, I was going to say my desk, but I Mm -hmm. don't (laughs) have a desk. When I see cases like this, I'm just kind of baffled. And I would want to be firing my tax accountant if she had one. Well, Shakira is not in jail, so I guess that's a win for her. Her hips don't lie, but her accountant does. (laughs) Were you saving that one in the bank? No, it actually just, I was thinking in my head of how I could fold in Shakira, Shakira, and then I was like, there's so much better of a hook. That was great. I'm impressed. Thank you. For real? And our final story in pop culture is that Suki Waterhouse announced her pregnancy with boyfriend Robert Pattinson at her concert in Mexico and then on social media by donning a glittery pink mini dress, a feathery coat, fringe trimmed boots and glittery tights saying I'm extra sparkly today because I thought it might distract you from something else going on and revealed 
her bump. And she just really cemented herself as the ultimate cool girl. Like everything she does is cool. And Robert is forever Twilight. Yeah, I'd agree on all of the above. I saw the video myself. I'm like, she's just, she just has it. I don't know what it is. She is just epic, flawless reveal and good for Robert Pattinson. Although I feel like when he was doing, was it Batman with Zoe Kravitz? He kind of mm-hmm. like got away from Twilight a bit in my mind. He's forever Twilight, but he's not as Twilight as, say, like, Jacob, the Taylor Lautner. Yeah. He's punching up, but... We love that for him. Yeah, we do. Congrats, Suki. And that's it on Pop Culture. Yay! (laughs) So, as usual, we're going to move into our deeper news topics. And we have a bit of a, you know, special guest in co-host Kelly presenting a news topic this week. So, Kelly, what's been happening? We are going to dive into an article by the New York Times that I read that really caught my eye. And I thought it just had wider ranging topics and impacts that we could kind of talk about. The article was titled Behind 94 Acts of Shocking Violence, Years of Glaring Mistakes. And it spoke to some of the shocking attacks that have occurred in NYC and the preventable events that led up to it. So it was a piece of investigative journalism that really dove into some of the acts of violence that have occurred specifically by mentally ill and homeless persons in New York City and some of the failures of the system in New York that led to those people being in a distressed state on the streets of New York that happened before the acts of violence. And one example of that is that in January 2022, there was a woman who was shoved in front of a subway train by a man that had been hospitalized at a state psychiatric facility beforehand and was released despite signs that he was still delusional. The reason why this hopped out to me is just because I jumped to being really scared after seeing news of an attack. And I think in New York and other cities, honestly, as well. I was talking to friends in Chicago this weekend and my family. And I think everyone is in a heightened state of awareness and sensitivity to attacks occurring and get really freaked out by them, naturally so, as is the human condition. But I felt like the transparency on how and where specific people need and aren't getting help and what can happen when they don't was not comforting to me, but it was almost good to know that some of it had cause, if that makes sense. Right. I I think what I love about it, it's like the symptom and not the cause. Like, it's like, how do you go upstream on an issue? And to me, it speaks to if we don't have systems in place that can help people in need who are in mental health crises, this is where we land. And I think what's so interesting, right, is we as humans, as we're operating in society, walking around the streets, there's a social contract. And then there's laws that enforce that social contract that you... Mm -hmm. If you keep to yourself and you mind your own business, like no harm will come your way. And it is so unsettling if you feel like that contract is fraying at the sides because we're in a state of crisis really around the world, around cost of living, mental health crisis. We had the pandemic, which exacerbated so much of this. And I don't know, does this article talk on how crime rates are and how this crisis has evolved post-pandemic. Are we seeing higher levels of incidents? That is such a good question. It did not go into that at all. It investigated over the past decade. Okay. So it, it didn't gloss over the pandemic, but I feel like its mention was very brief and it just kind of more so spoke to the conditions of different homeless shelters, hospitals, budgets, et cetera, post the pandemic, which I feel like across the board. Yeah, and I think... 
having lived in the U.S. myself, healthcare is a privilege, not a right. The public mm -hmm. health system, I don't know how much it provides for people in a state of crisis. And it reminds me of when we had conversations, there was a public discourse around like defunding the police. But some of that is that, you know, just arresting people and putting them in a prison cell maybe isn't an effective treatment and a way to rehabilitate someone who is going through a mental health episode and maybe suffers from bipolar or schizophrenia or is having a breakdown and needs very different specialized support that a jail cell isn't gonna help mm -hmm. right it only fi fixes an immediate thing where you're locking that person away from society you're not rehabilitating them and that is meant to be the point of yeah any of our systems in place is like rehabilitation right and, and the systems are i think set well they were supposed to be set up for rehabilitation or that was the point of them and i think this article does a good job of even looking to your point the jails are one thing and then it goes into some further breakdowns in the system including some of the disjointed system of homeless shelters there are some homeless shelters that are specifically built for mentally ill patients and have a different kind of team of support that should be able to give them resources but not every patient is identified as appropriate for that shelter so they go to the wrong place and get the wrong help they also talked about hospitals specialized teams failure of sharing information across different channels and that narrow band-aid approach to care which is mostly due to limited funding that's caused understaffing and hurried treatment yeah, it's really, even if you think about your average person trying to get in to see a psychologist, like you're on wait lists for months and months, there seems to be like a scarcity in availability of people who need help, those with means to seek help, and especially those without the means to seek help, then people can't feel safe walking down the streets because we can't get the help to the people that need it. And I feel like you wonder how you start to affect change here. Obviously, this happens at a policy level, government funding, private institutions, not-for-profits. There has to be things playing into all of this. I wonder how much we need to start. Who's lobbying on behalf of these people? You know what I mean? Like, probably yeah. not-for-profits. It's definitely a topic, I think, especially as it relates to public safety, it comes up a lot of the time right around voting which is an important one. And I know the governor is putting more attention towards mental illness and focus towards that with their dollars, which is important. But I think that the big takeaway for me from reading this is that it's good that this is a discussion overall, because I think it brings more attention to it, which we probably haven't had previously, hence why they wrote a decade long study on where the pitfalls in the system have happened. But the approach is going to have to be so different from previously. I was reading some of the attempted and failed solutions, which have been involuntary hospitalization, rehousing, flying people to a new city and just dropping them off there saying, this is your problem now, or mm -hmm. programs that haven't been effective. So it'll have to be a much more comprehensive approach, which I don't know how they'll do it either. But there are people much smarter than me that hopefully are working on this and thinking of it more big picture. Well, and I guess we could all write letters to the governor and what have you, especially if you're residents of New York. That's actually something you can do and something that can help affect change. I'm definitely going to read this article. Are you, do you have a topic to share with me? We do. We do. I'm <laughs> apparently two people now. <laughs> I do. <laughs> the other topic I wanted to talk about was something happening over here in Australia last week. And that was a movement titled Take a Sick Day for the Planet, School Strike for Climate, 
is the largest youth-led climate organisation in Australia, and they held a nationwide protest last week on Friday the 17th of November. This movement encouraged as many school-aged kids as possible to skip classes on the day and make their voices heard. And this organisation provided a climate doctor's certificate via a creative agency. Cal, I think I sent this your way. What did you think when this first came across your brain? I was wondering if it was a global event, which I feel like would take a lot of coordination. So it makes sense that it's just in Australia. But I love that they're teaching advocacy in a safe format and really bringing important problems to light for kids. I think that that's really important. Growing up, really knowing what true problems are and how much risk there is, is important. And like being truthful with kids in general, which I just don't think we always are. Yeah, for sure. And I think I mean, I'm really proud of the youth of Australia in this moment. Thousands of those students walked out of class and attended Strike for Climate rallies backed by this sick note from these climate doctors. And it was signed by three prominent scientists that concluded it is recommended that they take a sick day to protest for a sick planet. Part of what it cited the climate anxiety and kind of what these young kids are facing. And I think it's really important we listen to what they have to say because it's all of our future and really their future. And ABC journalists attended the rally and provided some really key quotes that I wanted to share with you. Joey Thompson, who's 16, who was a spokesperson for School for Climate, he said, as we hurdle towards a summer of dangerous heat waves, the federal labor government is failing young people by approving new coal and gas projects. They are just pouring more fuel on the fire. Another young person said, it makes me feel like, oh, it's just not me who has this fear for my future. It's not just me that has this type of climate anxiety. It's also not just me with a vision vision for a better future and who thinks a better future is a plausible reality. So, I mean, these kids are pretty incredible. They're not only plugged into what the issue is, they're understanding the decisions we are still making at this very moment that are only contributing to the problem. And they have belief that we can change. They have belief we can do it differently. And I'm also heartbroken for them that at a teenage age, they don't have this unbridled optimism of what their future might look like and the outlooks because of the realities of where we are in the world. It's a very justified thing for them to have anxiety around the climate. They have a voice and they're using it, which I think is awesome. Really wanted to bring it to attention to say that we should really be listening to these young people. We owe it to them to have a world in which they can inhabit and live yeah. safely. You can get faith from looking in humanity and looking at that generation and seeing what they're doing. And then you also can get inspiration from it and realize that sometimes all you have to do to figure out what you need to do to help is read about what someone else is doing and be open to trying the same thing. For sure. So I think anyone listening, if you know a young person, a school-age person who attended this rally, go and give them a pat on the back. I think it's pretty incredible. And I think we should all tune in and listen. We'll provide some links. I love that. Great share stuff. That's a new And rounding us out today, as always, we are going to finish up with some content. So we go through pop culture news and wrap up with what we've been loving recently from a content perspective, including the podcasts, articles, shows and movies, et cetera, that we have been taking in. Steph, would you like to kick us off this week? 
I would love to. So our listeners might be thinking, how did we not speak about Sam Altman for the third week in a row? As you probably haven't been able to miss what is happening at OpenAI. The reason we didn't cover this in news is because there has been so much that happened since Friday, November 17th, when Sam Altman was fired by the board of directors. And I'm going to point you towards a podcast. We've talked about this person and this podcast before. So Kara Swisher is a journalist who has covered the business internet since 1994. And to me, she is the most trusted voice in this space. Her podcast that she co-hosts is called Pivot. They have done three episodes. They did an emergency episodes and two other follow-ons that cover what is happening at OpenAI. For our listeners, if you're interested OpenAI, if you remember, is that company that started ChatGPT and they are really pioneers in artificial intelligence. And the board of directors fired the CEO on Friday, Sam Altman, who we've mentioned. And since then, there has just been so much swirl. You may be wondering, why would you be concerned? This is very important for the future and safety of artificial intelligence, I would say. We need the leaders of these companies to be supported by their board members to be making really smart decisions that have governance and safety at the forefront of this. And so really what is happening here is a distraction from all of that. So I'm interested because I'm like, okay, where is this going to land? And effectively, who ends up being the decision makers within these really important companies that need to safeguard society while we wait for policies and laws to catch up? Mm -hmm. So that's a podcast wreck. Love this recommendation because I think sometimes when we're following highly publicized news, it can be really hard to sort through what's actually important and influential versus what's not. And you just know somebody like Kara Swisher is going to be sifting through every single detail and taking out what's important so that when you do tune in and listen, you can come with an informed factual opinion. So I think this is a great take on all of it. Yeah, she has direct connections to all the sources. She is my source of truth on this, I would have for me personally. So love that. What do you have for me in content, Kel? You might have watched this already. Have you seen Taking Care of Maya on Netflix? I actually started it and then got really tired. So didn't finish it. I will not give too much away. I actually, it's funny that you said that you haven't watched it because I was really mindful as I was writing it that I didn't want to give spoilers as I didn't know what the outcome of the documentary was going to be. Okay. But it is about Maya Kowalski and her parents who were a family in Florida that were battling a hospital and authorities for custody of their sick daughter, which is Maya, after being accused of child abuse. Again, I don't want to give way too much about how it turns out, but it is a very interesting and much lesser heard perspective on the flaws in our legal and health systems and was heartbreaking overall. It was one of those where I really didn't have my phone out. That was a really good one. Well, I, from what I gather right, it's pretty much about how given her health concerns, they're accused of Munchausen by proxy. So effectively the parents are being accused that they're making their daughter sick. And that's where this, the abuse and the system comes into play, right? That's right. Her mother specifically was targeted as the abuser. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, I'll get it on my list this weekend. Definitely do. It's also very relevant because her civil trial, as you mentioned, it completed earlier this month. So this is a very relevant time to read about it and also to kind of hear the full story of everything that happens after the fact. You'll get the full perspective if you watch it now. Okay. Done. 
watching it immediately. Do we have one final content wreck coming our way? We do. Finishing up with some recent reads. My book club just finished the entire Aquatar series, which is um, short. Have you heard of it? What is that? You know, I'm actually so glad you asked because as soon as you hear about it, if you ask, I don't know actually if it's hit Australia as much. I'll have to do some some digging. But it is short for A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss, who has multiple series. It's a fantasy smut series that has oh received massive fanfare from women. So is this the next Fifty Shades of Grey? This way it's we're It's more fantastical than that because there are fairies in it. So that's right. like... The fairies? It's not that kind of fairy. Like, it's not the fairy that you're picturing. It's like regular adults that are really, really attractive, but they have wings and powers. <laughs> so sorry, it's not the tooth fairy. It's like the sex fairy. That's what yes, we're yeah, it's like sexy fairies. But the plot and characters are good. And honestly, I was hesitant to start it just because I, according to my story graph, I read like 75 to 80% nonfiction books. And so okay. when we suggested this one, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel. But our book club discussion was really a consensus that it's been a while since we stepped into a different world, similar to how JK Rowling did in Harry Potter. And these books and the whole universe are really an immersive fantasy. And we all were joking about how many women we've encountered, both friends and otherwise. It's not heavy sex scenes okay. throughout the book. Like, it's not like a Fifty Shades where every other scene is a sex scene. It's more yeah. like romance plot scattered throughout. I'll try and remain open minded because I typically like my fiction to still be, you know, human scented stories not fairy yeah i would say with this one you should read it if you need a real distraction like if you need something that's just really gonna tug you in in like a whole different world okay. or if you need an easy read or love fantasy or if you need a break from a more severe read this is a good one okay we love it and hey if women on mass love it and it's written by a woman i'm here for it so i've actually seen a lot of dialogue from postpartum mothers and recently married women that are having issues in their sex life and like spicing things up they have really enjoyed these books because it's been like a safe entry right. into romance in general and like getting into a world that's accessible to them without being overwhelmingly in your face. Okay. Well, I guess we're all going to enter our fantasy smart series era. Yeah. We're reading another fiction book next, but I refuse to go into the Fourth Wing series or any of the other massively viral ones. So we're going to be reading Remarkably Bright Creatures. So I'll report back to you. Okay. I love it. Reading to do. I've got a lot to do on my plate. You do. Tons. Same. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that is the end of episode nine. We're just loving it. And eventually we'll have to, you know, turn our brains to how do we formalize it, make sure we get you all the posts that we promised you along the way. And if you like this, please do share it with people. We want it to reach as many ears as it can, obviously, for the ears that would actually like to listen to it. It's Thanksgiving in the US, so everyone can take a bit of time to be a bit reflective and have gratitude. I think that's always really fun. And a lot yeah, I think if everybody wants to take a moment to be grateful that we're doing this for you, that would be, that'd be great. Just thank us. Yeah, so if you could send your chocolate bouquet arrangements to Kelly, that would be great. Yeah, that would be lovely. I'll also, feel free to be thankful for like love in your life, friendship, family, health, yep. mostly us. That's what we're saying. 
happy Thanksgiving to you and the fam. Shout out Katie, my new best friend. Can't wait to hear the reports back of what you're thankful for this year. I'm thankful for you, Steph. Happy American Thanksgiving to you. I'm thankful for you too, Kel. Right back at you. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.